Well, my name is Ryan Vanzant. I work with our student ministry here, and I'm really excited to get to share with you this morning as we open up in the book of James. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Well, our Cypress campus began going through James last month, uh, and Johnny had asked me to come teach on James chapter one, and it was super cool. I was excited to get to go do that. Uh, Meanwhile, I had this teaching date on my calendar, uh, and I really wrestled back and forth over the past few weeks. Um, Would I use that same lesson, or does God have something fresh, something new that he wants to teach this group of people And even as late as like this last Thursday, I was still praying through that, like, God, is this what you have? Um, And the thing is, I think what ultimately swayed me is that I keep seeing these truths from James 1 uh, emerging, not only in my life, but especially in conversations I'm having with some of you guys. So I truly believe that this is the word that God has for us this morning. Uh, And here's the thing, James is a favorite book for a lot of people. I know a lot of uh, folks love James. But I think when we look at the context, we see that it's actually really relevant. It's particularly relevant to this moment right now, whether as a society or individually or as a church. And when we look, we see that in the book of Acts, we are tracing this new faith movement, right? After the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, And everything is getting started there in Jerusalem. That's where we see the Holy Spirit arrive at Pentecost. We see thousands of believers come to join the community of faith. Uh, And it's there that we read read in Acts chapter 2, where they're meeting together every day. They're eating, they're devoted to prayer and to the apostles' teaching, and the Lord is daily bringing people into their midst, those who he is saving. That is such an exciting time to be a Christian, it's a time that we even like look back on. We, we idolize as a time that we wish we could experience as the church. And yet as good as that time is, it doesn't ultimately last. And by the time we get to Acts chapter six, uh, we see that persecution actually has broken out there in Jerusalem, uh, beginning with uh, Stephen, one of the church leaders being killed. And then this wave of persecution breaks out against the church. And it says that the the believers scatter from Jerusalem and they begin settling in the towns, in the cities around Judea and Samaria. And I just want to think for a moment what that would have been like personally for them. I mean, think about what they lost. They lost their homes. They lost their community. They lost the lives of their leaders Right? They left so much behind. And I can't help but feel like there would have been some Christians there scattered who would look back on that season in Jerusalem and think, man, that was it. If we could just get back to that point, how is it ever going to be as good? And I think we know this feeling. It seems like this past year and a half, we have just been waiting for certain things to like go back to normal. Right, whether as a society. But I imagine this might be true for us personally as well. Maybe it's something as simple as your routine or your relationships. Or maybe you look back even further to a point uh, before 2020. There was some personal place that you were in 
Maybe it was the community you were surrounded by or this a spiritual place that you look back on and think, man, if I could just get back to that, then things would be good. And I think it's right into this longing that James kicks off his letter as he writes to those who have been scattered. Uh, there are two words in the opening chapter that he focuses on, and that is enduring and persevering. Enduring and persevering. And I think by focusing on these two things, James would have his readers and us see that going back is not an option, but there is a way forward by enduring and persevering. And what's interesting about these two words in the Greek is that uh, they both actually come from the same root word. Uh, It's minnow, which means to remain or abide. So when Jesus says to uh, remain in him, that's the word he uses. Or at the end of Acts, when Paul remains in his home for two years, that's the same word. And it's interesting that, as I've thought about it, that when it comes to enduring and persevering, when it comes to moving forward, that in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, where weakness is strength, where being last is being first, that we would actually move forward by remaining. That's where we're heading this morning. So let's read, starting James chapter one, verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that you're here, that you are aware of us today. God, we thank you for your word. Would you speak to us? And with your eyes closed, your uh, head still bowed, would you just ask God to raise our awareness of his presence in this place? would you ask God to raise your expectations for what his word can accomplish? God, you are here. Your spirit is among us. Let your word accomplish your purposes. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Well, as summer kicks off, I imagine that uh, some of you, if you are students, 
that you are home uh, from college for the summer. We have a couple of interns with us and students, which is super exciting. Uh, they are amazing. If you have a chance to meet them, uh, I'd love for you to do that. Uh, but a few weeks ago, we were interviewing them, and they were going through finals. And I remember talking to them, and they were sharing about late night studying and finishing up papers, and I was having just PTSD flashbacks, remembering what that was like. Uh, but I also remember that feeling when you finish your last final and you're walking across campus. I mean, that's the, the most freeing feeling in the world. And the sad thing is, if you've already graduated, there is nothing in adult life that compares to that. <laughs> you cannot replicate that experience. That's a great joy. But notice that that's a joy that comes after the test is done. And that's not what James says. James in verse 2 says, Consider it a great joy when you face trials of various kinds. According to James, the joy in facing the trials are simultaneous. Uh, Why can we have joy? Verse 3 and 4. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So we can have joy in trials because we know what it is that God is bringing about. Uh, Most people, when they think about what trials produce, uh, probably would say strength or resilience. Uh, I was at a restaurant recently, and in the bathroom, and this is true, there was a poster. It had a ship on it, and it said, Stormy seas make strong sailors. And it's a cool poster. Uh, I like the quote. I just don't understand why it was in a bathroom. (laughs) Like, I'm not sure who's looking for extra motivation in that moment. And I'm pretty sure we're all hoping for calm seas. Uh, But we hear this idea a lot in our culture, right? It's probably best summed up in the idea, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? You've heard that idea. Maybe some of us live that idea that difficult times will grow in us a strength and resolve and make us tougher. But again, that's not what James says. He tells us what trials ultimately produce, and it's two things. Uh, Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and you may be complete. And I want to look at both of those for a moment. Uh, The first one, maturity. Uh, There are a lot of ways that we could measure it. Uh, But it comes to spiritual maturity. One clear marker we see in the New Testament has to do with our uh, desires. Peter, in 1 Peter, writes, not to be conformed to the desires you had in your former ignorance. Paul hits the same idea in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, saying how at one point, like children of wrath, we were controlled by our desires and gratifying the flesh. Uh, So immaturity then is marked by the control that our desires or our impulses have over us. If you've raised kids, you already know this, right? We haven't raised kids, but we do have a dog, and uh, Reese has absolutely zero impulse control. Uh, She lives by one set of parameters. I want this, I want it now, and if I have it, I want more. And we're either the best dog parents in the world or the worst because we give it to her every single time. And look, I'm not wanting to be dog shamed this morning, uh, 
So save your training videos, like we've already seen them. But here's the thing, maturity produced by trials is such that our fundamental relationship with our desires changes. Rather than being led by them or controlled by them, we can actually direct our desires where to go. And that's gonna be really important in a moment. We're gonna come back to that. Uh, But the second thing that trials bring about for us is completeness. And he tells us what that means. It's lacking nothing. Simply put, nothing is left behind. Nothing is left on the table. And I imagine that that's a really encouraging word for a group of people who have just left so much behind. I mean, every day would be a reminder of something that they did not have that they used to have, something that was left behind in Jerusalem. And with trials, there's always that sense of loss of what we don't have. But James would have us see that in facing trials, in enduring trials, we're made complete. We are positioned to receive all that God desires for us to have. Trials then aren't designed to make us tougher or stronger, but to make us more satisfied, more mature in our desires, more complete in what we receive from God. And we can have joy as we face trials because we know God is working towards that end. Joy is the first part of the equation. Uh, But as we head into the next section, starting in verse five, we see that there's something else James wants us to have as we face trials. Let's read verse five. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Uh, I know this is a favorite verse for a lot of people. I mean, this is a really solid promise. And I do think it applies to just our general living, right? Our relationships, uh, interacting in the office, raising kids, that sort of thing. Uh, But I think putting it here, James would have us see that we specifically need wisdom as we face trials. And then going on to verse six, he says, uh, ask in faith without doubting. The person who doubts should not expect to receive anything, including wisdom, from the Lord. What this communicates is that this is a wisdom uh, that proceeds from faith rather than a wisdom that produces faith. And that's a really important distinction. Uh, The difference here, listen to these two things. The difference is, God, I don't understand what's happening And therefore, you're going to need to explain it to me step by step before I'm ready to trust you. Versus, God, I trust that you are good and that you do good and you are working towards your good purposes. Help me to see what that is so I can join you. So as we face trials, we need wisdom in order to understand how God is working The question we often ask when we face trials is, why am I facing this? And when that's our question, we often look for someone to blame. Uh, Maybe that's ourselves and we feel shame. Maybe that's someone else, a person, a spouse, or God, or a system, and we feel resentment. But God's wisdom turns our attention inward, not to blame us or to shame us, Uh, but to reveal 
Because whatever is happening in our circumstances during a trial, the real trial takes place at the heart level. And it turns out that's an area we're not as familiar with as we may think we are. Listen to these passages, Proverbs 16 two. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives, that's the heart level, are weighed by the Lord. And then Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Then he asks what I think is a really important question. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So here's the thing. Um, However well we think we know ourselves, however many personality tests we've taken or which office character we are, uh, there is a level in our heart it turns out we're not as familiar with as we think we are. But God dredges up those deep places. And when we seek wisdom, we're able to see what it is that he exposes, what it is that he reveals. And then I think we can ask the right question. Not why am I experiencing this trial but rather, why is this trial or these circumstances making me uncomfortable? Let's jump down to verse 14. Each person is tried when he is drawn away and enticed by his desires. And I like the ESV for this verse. Uh, you may have in your version where it's translated as evil desires. In the word evil actually isn't in there, and I get what they're going for. I don't think it's wrong, but I think it risks communicating something unhealthy, uh, namely that all of our desires are bad. And that can just lead us to this really squirrely theology where God wants us to be miserable. Uh, but when we look at scripture, we actually see that God meets our desires. Psalm 145, verse 16, God opens his hand and satisfies desires of every living creature. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean all of our desires are good? No, they're not all bad either. And for example, desires like security or comfort or approval, even power or wanting to be great. We might hear those and think, oh, a Christian shouldn't want those things. And so if I feel it, I just need to shove it down and hope that it goes away. But in reality, what we see when we look at scripture is that all of these are desires according to God's word that can be satisfied in him, right? God is our security. He is our comforter. We aim to please him. He gives us power by his spirit. He tells his disciples, if anyone desires to be great, here's how, become a servant. It's not that all our desires are bad. It's are your desires driving your life and where are they taking you? The problem James points to in verse 14 is when we let our desires lead us astray to be satisfied in things apart from God. Uh, the Bible has a word for this. It's idolatry. And at its root, idolatry always has to do with a transaction. In order to have your desire met, uh, you, there's something that you give. And I think a lot of us in today's world, we have a hard time understanding the appeal of like bowing to a statue 
right? But that is just one form of that transaction that takes place, giving something of yourself in order to receive something back. And then here's where trials come in. This is why we need wisdom in order to understand how God is working. Because wisdom gives us a new framework to understand what's happening. And maybe not every trial, but I think oftentimes in trials that there is a desire in our heart and then there's something apart from God that we're going to in order to have that desire met. And what a trial does is it creates an obstruction in between our hearts and the thing that was satisfying us. God allows something to block that connection, to interfere with the transaction. And I think that's what makes trials hard, that makes us uncomfortable. Just think back to this past year. Uh, Let's say you desire security and recognition, and you're getting that from uh, going into the office. Then your office shuts down or you lose your benefits, or you lose your job, right? That's uncomfortable. Let's say you desire approval or pleasure from being surrounded by friends or uh, having a full social calendar. That's uncomfortable when everything shuts down. Or let's say you desire stability and security that comes from a stable economy or healthy society or politics. Like 2020 was not your year, right? Because there were these obstructions that kept our desires from reaching the thing that was satisfying them. And I hope you hear me. We can spend a lot of time uh, discussing the externals, why those barriers were there. Um, I'm not interested in that. But rather with wisdom from God, looking at the internals, the desires, many of which aren't bad desires, but asking ourselves the right question. Why were we uncomfortable? And then asking in that discomfort, how do we respond? That's where James tells us we have a choice. Let's go back up to verse four. He says, let endurance have its full effect. Let endurance have its full effect. Uh, I mentioned earlier how endurance comes from the root word meaning to remain. But with endurance, a prefix has been added. Uh, It's hupo minnow. It is to remain under. Remain under. If we want to let endurance have its full effect, we must remain under the discomfort of whatever's blocking our desire from reaching the thing that was satisfying us. That's not easy. But with God's joy and God's wisdom, we can evaluate our desires from God's perspective and direct them with maturity, either to be satisfied in or surrendered to God. Satisfied mean that God meets that desire or surrendered to because God actually doesn't have that thing for you in this season. Uh, Paul is a great model for this. Uh, Three times we see in scripture that he prays for God to take away a trial that he's experiencing. So let's look at it. What is his desire? Well, he tells us his desire is to be strong and effective in ministry. That's not a bad desire. But God refines him by revealing that his desire for strength in ministry 
is not satisfied by his own ability, but by God's provision. So Paul emerges out of that difficulty. And you know what happens once he does? The obstruction doesn't go away. God does not remove the thorn. And yet the trial for Paul was over. You see, we can actually move on from a trial without the obstruction being removed, but only when we remain under and allow God to do his refining work. Uh, Remaining under trials is hard. Um, I was just thinking back to this past year, and if you'd asked me, Ryan, did you face a lot of trials in the past 18 months? Uh, I would have said, yeah, I faced a lot of trials, a lot of different trials, in fact. But as I've been looking at James 1 and thinking back this last season, I realized it's not so much that I faced a bunch of different trials. I really only faced one or two trials uh, with just some commercial breaks, right? And there would be those moments where I thought I was done. I'd be like, all right, like I've learned, God. Thank you for this difficult circumstance. I'm ready to move on. And then something would happen and I'd find myself right back under where I was. And the truth is, it's because I wasn't remaining under and allowing God to do his refining work. Instead of remaining under, I got really good at doing something else and that is shoving down. And that's the choice we have. When we experience trials, we're either going to remain under and endure or we're going to shove down. We can shove down by finding a way around the obstacle, around the thing that's blocking us from our idol and trying to reconnect. Or we can shove down by finding a new idol, something else to satisfy that same desire. Or we can shove it down by ignoring. I've had a lot of experience here in the last year. Uh, I think it's why I read so much in 2020. Uh, I read books that I purposefully didn't read in high school and I enjoyed them, right? And it's just me shoving down this discomfort and just putting my head down and waiting for it to go away. Maybe you know that feeling. Um, I don't know for sure, but I imagine the Netflix traffic was uh, pretty high in 2020, right? Because it's easy. Just put our heads down, wait for things to go back to normal. Uh, But here's the thing, our desires, when we shove down, don't go away. They just hibernate and wait to come back. So here's the question, a difficult question. What has God dredged up in you in the trials of this past year? What are the unmet desires that have led to your discomfort? What were you finding? Where were you finding satisfaction for those desires? Those are hard questions uh, in the midst of hard times. But don't shove down what God has dredged up. If you want to challenge this week, I want to invite you to grab a piece of paper and you can divide it into four sections. First is the trial. And I have a slide for this, if you can pull that up. Second is what desire, what is the desire that your heart has? What is the idol or the thing that was satisfying that desire before? 
And according to God's word, can this desire be satisfied in him or does it need to be surrendered? And you can start, if you want, in March of 2019 and you can just make your way forward month by month. And I think you'll find something similar to me in that it's not so much that we faced a bunch of different trials. It was a lot of the same trials with commercial breaks. If you're really brave, you can even go back further earlier than 2019, work your way through and ask God with wisdom and joy, Lord, would you reveal to me the desires of my heart and the idols where I've been going to find them satisfied? Because here's the thing, if we don't let endurance have its full effect and that desire still holds command in our hearts, the best case scenario is that God in his graciousness and his love will allow us to experience that same trial again so that we have another opportunity uh, to surrender or be satisfied in him. That's what a loving God does. We remain under trials. We endure with joy and with wisdom, remaining other rather than shoving down. And then James calls us to persevere. Let's go back. James chapter one, starting in verse 22. He says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Again, let's think back to those early first century Christians. Uh, they're dispersed from Jerusalem. They're disconnected from their community, from the teaching of the apostles. Uh, that's a huge transition. And we know that with every transition, uh, our faith is at risk, right? Like we see this a lot with college students. Uh, as they pack up and they leave home, the question they're often asking without realizing it is when it comes to their faith, am I going to take this with me or am I going to leave it at home? And I imagine for the early Christians scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, away from their spiritual parents, uh, the question they had to be asking was, how are we supposed to grow in our faith? How are we supposed to hold on to our faith? Jump up to verse 16. So don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then 21, therefore ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. See, James wants them to see that wherever they are, it is God's word that births and nourishes their spiritual life. Uh, and notice how James defines the connection between them and the word. Uh, the word's not centralized in a place or a person. The word is not located in Jerusalem 
or in the apostles. He says the word has been internalized by them. It's been implanted in them as they've humbly received it and they've taken it with them. Uh, That's what it means to persevere. The word we see in verse 25, again, has the same root, to remain. Uh, But this time it is, the prefix is para minnow, to remain with or to remain beside, to remain near. Uh, We know that these Christians persevered because of what we read in Acts chapter 8 verse 4, saying those who had been scattered from Jerusalem preached the word wherever they went. You see, their faith was able to grow and their disconnect from their leaders and their community because the word was internalized. That allowed new communities to form. It allowed new leaders to develop. And what was supposed to be, what was meant to be, this death blow to the church ultimately became one of its biggest catalysts because the word was with them. They remained with it. They took it with them. You know, Jesus uses a similar picture in the Gospels when it comes to our relationship with the word. Uh, Rather than a seed that's planted, though, he uses a different picture. In Matthew 4, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, Notice again that God's words are consumed, they're internalized, and they give us life. I think we're familiar with this idea Uh, But something that I often hear uh, from Christians say, man, I I love the church. You know, the programs are good. The kids' ministry is awesome. I'm just not being fed. Not here, of course. Other churches. And here's the thing. I have a hard time with that because of what Jesus says in John chapter four, where his disciples have left him for a bit and he's, Uh, sitting by a well and gets into a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Uh, His disciples come back and they're like, Jesus, are you hungry? And he says, no, I have food that you don't know about. And then listen to what he says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. See, we internalize or persevere in God's word by hearing and by doing. That's what nourishes us. That's what keeps us growing, hearing and doing. Last month, we took uh, my parents out for dinner on Mother's Day. And uh, afterwards, we went to this ice cream shop in the Heights. It was amazing. I'd only been there once before, but they had a ton of incredible flavors. And... uh, If you know me, I'm pretty indecisive when it comes to big decisions like this. So I'm trying to narrow it down. And so I did what any person would do. I said, can I have a sample? And she looks at me and she says, oh, I'm so sorry. We're not doing samples right now. And I was devastated. (laughs) So what do I do? Do I play it safe or do I risk it all? Church, I gambled. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning... Don't, don't gamble on things that matter like this. But I don't know if you heard the news. Uh, Apparently HEB is bringing back samples this week. That's huge news. Can we get a round of applause for HEB? Yeah. Uh, But I was thinking about samples and uh, 
What I realize is that when I sample something, I really only have one thing in mind, like do I like this? But the reality is, even if I like it, I pretty much have 0% chance of actually buying it. Like the ATB crowd watching this is all pumped, but I was just gonna say, I get a sushi roll at ATB every time I go, and yet I've never actually put it into my cart. Uh, I think that the way it is with samples is that like I'll try something, especially at the grocery store, and if there's a person there, they're like, so, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, that's good. But then I pull this little maneuver. It's like, I'll be back around. It's like, no, you won't. They know it, right? And I think if we're honest, coming to church, hearing a message, I think there's a temptation for us to just sample. We wanna hear God's word. We wanna evaluate if we like it or not. But I'm not sure we really wanna take it with us. And I say we because I'm in this boat. Like I'm way more often sitting where you're sitting than standing up here. We want to sample. We don't want to take it with us. James is a hard word for us in verse 22. Saying if you think you're going to be nourished by hearing God's word and not doing it, you're deceiving yourself. Rather, verse 25, the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. Not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Rather than grabbing a sample and going on your way, it's putting it into your cart and saying, this is coming with me. Taking it home, cooking it up, serving it to your family. That's the picture of perseverance. I think James would have us see. He also tells us what happens when we don't. Uh, We move on and we forget. Uh, Like a man looking at himself in a mirror, he moves on and because he moves on so quickly, he forgets what he saw. Uh, For us as Christians, I think one of the pitfalls we need to avoid is always moving on to the next thing to learn, the next sermon the next Bible study, the next podcast, the next bestseller. I mean, there is more just general Christian information out there than at any point in history. And yet, has it made us more obedient? Has it made us more faithful? I think the risk is we can fall into this pattern that Paul describes to Timothy, warns him about as a characteristic of the last eight days, saying there will be people who are always learning but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth. Maybe put it another way, um, they're always hungry but never feasting. I think we can all agree that whether it's as a society or as a church or individually, that this is a time of transition. And with every transition, we have the question, when it comes to our faith, are we going to take this with us or are we going to leave this behind? So if I could challenge you this week in anything, it's this. Uh, First is to come to church hungry. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in salvation. Uh, We know that this hunger 
uh, was a characteristic of the early church. Uh, We see it as far back as the day of Pentecost when Peter stands up and preaches, filled with the Holy Spirit, and that the people listening says they're cut to the heart. And they ask, brothers, what do we do? See, hunger is kind of this abstract concept. What I really mean by that is it's an urgency. It's opening up our word, not saying, hey, what do I need to know? God, what do I need to live today? Come to church hungry. It's a hunger that's produced by the Holy Spirit. And so maybe this week, if you would pray, ask God, God, give me a hunger for your word that only you can satisfy. Second challenge I have for you actually has to do with what we do when we gather here on Sunday mornings. Uh, I don't know about you, but at our house, uh, Sunday is meal prep Sunday. So we'll make a dinner tonight, but we'll also make a ton of leftovers. And so we know exactly what we're eating that week. And I wanna just invite you to picture Sunday morning as not just a meal, but it's a meal prep. This is a preview of what you're going to be eating this week as God stirs up your heart with hunger and as you approach him in his word, as you think about these words and as you read James this week, in fact, that's my challenge for you, is that you would read James over the next seven days. Uh, There's a ton here. Even in chapter one, I could only scratch the surface of what he has to say. Uh, So I challenge you to read this book. Allow God to speak to you you're ready for meal prep next Sunday. So to close out this morning, uh, as I've been working on this message, uh, there's been a few songs that I've had on repeat. Uh, one of those is uh, The Blessing, which we sang, I think, on Mother's Day here at Spring Branch. And I love this song, taking the words uh, out of the book of Numbers, saying the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. And I was just thinking a lot about this idea of blessing, about receiving blessing from God. And if you ask my family, uh, they'll tell you that I love receiving things. Growing up, I was always a big gifts person. And uh, I also grew up in an era of a lot of kids' game shows. Like every kids' channel, there was always a game show on. And the ultimate prize that you could win in a kids' game show was a shopping spree. Right? You get like five, 10 minutes in Toys R Us and you can just cram as much into your cart as possible. And I would actually be awake at night, stressed out, trying to plan out like what would I do if I win a shopping spree? Like how do I make sure that I acquire everything I could possibly acquire? I don't wanna leave anything behind. And I think for a lot of us, when it comes to God's blessing, we can have a shopping spree mentality. God, I wanna receive all the blessing I can possibly receive. How do I make sure that I get it all? But you know, there's two times in this passage that James mentions blessing. Verse 12, he says, blessed is the one who endures trials. And then verse 25, the one who perseveres in God's word will be blessed in what he does. So I think it calls for a different approach, a different posture. It reminds me of how we did presents in my house growing up. Maybe you did it similarly, similarly, but whether it's your birthday or Christmas, I say, all right, Ryan, go sit on the couch, close your eyes, and hold your hands out. And then you wait to receive. 
And I think that's the posture that James would call us to. As we sit in trials, remaining under rather than shoving down, we persevere, remain with God's word rather than moving on to the next thing. We remain by receiving or we receive by remaining. And you know what? That's not a place that we're going to want to move on from. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you speak to us. God, I just, I thank you for your hand over this time. Lord, that it really isn't about what it is I say or don't say because your spirit is working. So Lord, would you do what only you can do this morning, which is uh, bring comfort, bring conviction. Lord, lead us how we can respond in obedience. God, we thank you for this church family. The opportunity we have to uh, come together and hear your word and let it change our, our hearts and our lives. Lord, would we come alongside each other this week to listen, to talk through what it is you reveal in James and to come alongside each other as we seek to obey you. Well, we close all of our meetings with prayer and I wanna invite our prayer folks to come forward. They're gonna be standing on uh, these two edges and if God has laid anything on your heart uh, that you would like prayer for, I just wanna invite you to come forward and pray with one of our, our prayer folks. Uh, they'll be standing here as we worship together. So please stand. Let's continue to worship.